0: Well, over the last couple of, uh, uh, hey, Jared, this is still going in here. I I got music. There we go. Okay, it's gone now. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, doing our series on relationships. Uh, And relationships are important because we all have them. Uh, We all interact with people. uh, But they're also really difficult. They're hard To manage at times. And a lot of times the reason why they're hard to manage is because there's more than one person. You know, we can only uh, control what we can control. We can only control how we think. We can control how we feel. We can control how we react to different situations. But when you add in a second person, you have no control over them. And uh, lucky for us, not everyone is made the exact same way. All right? Not everyone reacts in the same way. Not everyone has emotions in the same way. Not everyone thinks the same way. And so when you have these two people interacting with each other, there tends to be uh Conflict, there tends to be differences of ideas, and it causes a lot of problems. And so we deal with that in relationships, and sometimes we cause pain in relationships without even meaning to. Uh, I had a friend who was a, a girl, and she, uh, I remember one Sunday coming to church, and she was there, and she was kind of close to me, and I saw that she had put on a lot of eyeshadow. Uh, and I said to her right out of the gates, that's a lot of makeup you all have on today. And, and, and most of you ladies out there, you know, instantly what went, went through her head, right? It wasn't that she looked bad. It wasn't that I thought that she looked terrible. I didn't. She was fine. I, I just noticed that it was more makeup than she normally made. But the thing that came out of my mouth wasn't exactly the way I intended it to. And this girl, she got kind of upset. I found out later that she went into the bathroom and wiped most of it off. Uh, and I, once I found that out, I, was, I felt bad. I didn't mean to hurt her in that way. And, and that is the conflict of, re, uh, of relationships, right? I, how do we not hurt each other? And so over this series, we've been looking at this idea of not just how do we not hurt each other, but how do we build each other up? how can we be great parents? How can we be great spouses? How can we be great grandparents? Or, or maybe even how can we be great friends? And so today we want to wrap up this series and we want to look at a relationship that's a little bit different than everything else. And it's the relationships that we have with our enemies. Uh, we do have relationships with them. Usually they're not positive all uh, other relationships we kind of enjoy, at least I hope that we enjoy being parents most of the time. I, I hope that we enjoy having friends. Uh, but most of us, I think, would not say we enjoy having enemies. But it is a part of life, it is uh, part of how we live. And so we have to ask the question how can we be great enemies? Uh, Throughout the Bible, there are enemies of the people of God. They show up both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And when they pop up in our lives, if we are faithfully following Jesus, we should not be surprised by that. In fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter these words. Uh, He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And, And what Peter is saying here is simply this. If you have enemies, don't be surprised. If you're following faithfully Jesus, do not be surprised that there are going to be people that are against you. In fact, instead of being surprised at it, you should do what? You should rejoice. Rejoice that you get to suffer just like Jesus did. Uh, the, probably the greatest example of, of people that lived with great enemies is the story of Saul and David. David. Uh, Saul was the king over Israel. God had chosen him to be the first king. Uh, Samuel had anointed him. Saul went about his business, solidifying the nation. But then Saul did some things that he really wasn't supposed to. He didn't follow God's law entirely. And because of that, God told Saul, your family will no longer be king after you. I'm going to choose someone else. And the person that God chose was David. Now, Saul was unaware of this. He, he didn't know that David had been chosen for this. And so David comes in, and he begins to do all these things, and he begins to get these accolades and these praises. And when those praises came, Saul became very suspicious, uh, here, here's some of the praises in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. Uh, we read that as they, the Israelites, are dancing and singing in the streets, they say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, I didn't have math class in college, but I can kind of assume that tens of thousands is more than a thousand. And it seems that these people are celebrating David as being more successful than Saul was. And Saul is listening to all of this. He knows that God has chosen someone new to take his place. And he's probably getting a little jealous that David is having these types of praises. And he will begin to keep an eye out on David and will seek to destroy David. And so we get this story played out in in 1 Samuel 18 through 24, 26. And what we have in this story uh, is this torn Saul trying to figure out where he stands on this. Where is David? Is he with me? Is he against me? There's times that Saul wants to kill David. There's other times that he wants to give his daughter in marriage to David. And it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense at times. And so as we enter into this discussion of, of, what it, of, of what we are to do with our enemies, I think we have to ask the question, who is our enemies? See, a lot of times we, we like to say the phrase, if you're not for me, then you are against me. But we have to ask the question, is that really true? Is it really true that if you're not on my side, then that means you are my enemy? And I don't think that that's always the case. I have a lady on my Facebook who uh, tends to promote pictures of animals that are in the pound or have been abused, and oftentimes they'll say something like this, share this picture for Fluffy. And they want you to be aware that animal abuse happens or that's you need to go adopt these animals out of the pound before they're killed, all right? Or euthanized. We use the the kind term, right? All right? And you know what I do every time I see that picture from that lady? I just keep scrolling. And does it mean that I'm against animals? No. I'm just not necessarily for sharing the picture of fluffy. I don't usually share anything, so my wife will tell you that. So, all right, but it doesn't mean that I'm against what she is for. And I think in society, we've kind of gotten to this place that if you're not with me, that means you're my enemy. And we see it all the time in our country. We see it in the political system. We see it in the social world. That if you're not for my cause, that means you must be against my cause and therefore you are my enemy. And the question is, are we? Are we really? In the Revolutionary War, there were... Two sides, really there was a third one, and we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, one side for the colonists was those who did not like British rule. They wanted independence, and so they raised up arms and they fought against the British. And we laud them, right? We're, we're happy that they did that because now we have the 4th of July to celebrate every year. Uh, On the other side, there was those who were called the Tories. Uh, These were the colonists that said, no, we don't need to break away from Britain. And they took up arms, and they started fighting the British. And yet there's this third group in the middle that most of them said, yeah, we need independence. But they also said, we shouldn't be fighting. And they didn't take up arms And they didn't fight against one side or the other. And do you know what the rebels and the Tories did with that group? They killed them. They fought against them, even though they were not wanting to fight. And the reason is, is because they said, if you're not with us, then you're against us. But were they the true enemy? And this is... This is where I think we can sometimes be black and white and where we have to understand in order to interact in a good relationship with our enemies, we have to know who is our enemy. Well, David and Saul in in chapters 18 and 19 of 1 Samuel, they will have a interaction that I think kind of shows us what a true enemy is. In this story, we see that Uh, Saul and David are going to to be at odds with each other, more Saul than David, uh, and we're going to see how they interact. In verses 10 through 11, right after these women have sang the praises of David, we see this happen. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand. He hurled it, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall but David eluded him twice. Uh, one of the punishments that God gave Saul whenever Saul went away from God's way of living was this evil spirit and we don't necessarily know what it was. It wasn't always there on Saul, but in this particular day it was. Uh, in the early days that when Saul had this spirit came on him, the only thing that really le- relieved it was music. And so Saul's advisors searched the land high and low to find someone skilled in music to play for Saul when the Spirit came on him. And they found a little boy by the name of David. Years later, David now is the general. He is conquering the Philistines left and right. He's getting praised. He's becoming famous. And yet when the spirit, evil spirit comes on Saul, David's there doing what he's always done, comforting his king. And on this particular day, Saul is a little bit deeper than what he normally is. He's just heard them sing praises. He's kind of suspicious. He's kind of jealous. And the spirit comes on him, and he's in a very dark place. And he decides right then and there, I'm going to get rid of David. And so he takes up his spear. He doesn't have very good aim. He misses David. He tries again, and David is intent on living, and so he runs away. And so we see this first aspect of who a true enemy is. An enemy seeks to harm us. See, it's not just that the enemies are those who disagree with us. That doesn't make any sense. Enemies are those who are seeking to bring harm into our lives, whether it's physical harm, spiritual harm, or financial harm. And they are there trying to destroy what we have. Saul is intense on killing David for no other reason than that he is jealous of him. David hasn't done anything wrong, and and last week we read about how David's sitting there asking Jonathan, what have I done? David has done nothing wrong. It is all in Saul's mind. Well, Saul after the mood has passed him decides you know what i don't really want david killed Uh, he in fact asks david david do you want to marry my oldest daughter and david's thinking what no no All right, David literally says, who am I that that I would get this opportunity? And he says, no, I don't want to. And so Saul marries off his oldest daughter, but he has a younger daughter named Michael who fell in love with David and says, I want to marry David. And so Saul offers Michael off to David and David says, no. And then Saul's advisors say, yes, you should. And so David says, yes. And so now David is a part of the family. And David goes out to battle again. And David continues to win. In verse 30, we read that the Philistines' commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. So this thing that caused the jealousy in Saul it's still continuing David is still very good at what he is doing he's been blessed by God and I think Saul is starting to put pieces together and he is becoming jealous of David and his fame and he's worried and so in verse 1 of chapter 19 Saul tells his son and all of his attendants to kill David And this is the second thing that our enemies do. They're not just content with bringing harm into our lives. They encourage others to bring harm in our lives. They're not content with it just being me versus you. They want everyone else to be on their side to bring harm against us. They widen the circle of influence. And so Saul is no longer him and David. Now he is whiting it to his officers, to his son Jonathan. But remember that Jonathan and David are really close. And Jonathan comes to his dad and says, Dad, this is not right. He's done nothing wrong. Why do you want him dead? You should not do this. And Saul relents for a time. And then we get this cycle over again. In chapter 19, verses 9 through 10, it's like reading deja vu style, it says this, An evil spirit of the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with the spear in hand. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. Now he's not throwing it, he's charging him. And David eludes him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night David made good on his escape. And we see that uh, David again has to run away. And the third thing that distinguishes an enemy is not just that they want to bring us harm. It's not just that they bring other people along the way. It's more than that. They continuously seek to harm us. They don't just try once. If they fail, they try again and again and again. Those are our enemies. Now, when we look at this world, we, we, have, to be, we have to admit that most people in this world are not our enemies. And it's something that I think sometimes we can, we can be blinded by. You know, we tend to think if people disagree with us, then they're against us. And that's just not the case. Most people just want to live their lives how they want to live it. And oftentimes that means that they sin. But just because they are sinners doesn't make them our enemies. Our truest and greatest enemy is Satan. Satan. And Satan does use people to fight against us. And we do have enemies in this world who are intent on destroying us for no other reason than that we are followers of Jesus. But that's also not most of the world. But I think Satan wants us to think that if they're not Christians, then they are enemies, because if we can think that way, then we begin to build these walls and when we have these walls up, we begin to say, well, they're not with us, therefore they don't know, need to know who Jesus is. And when we have these walls up, we can't tend to barricade ourselves in just as much as we are trying to keep them out. And so we have to answer the question who is our enemy? And if we can distinguish who our true enemies are, those who are seeking us harm, those who are gathering forces, those who continuously come at us, then we can begin to ask the question, how do I relate to my enemy? Over the next couple of chapters, Saul is going to chase after David. David is going to do everything that he can to stay ahead of Saul, and he does a very good job of this there's going to be a couple of times where David actually gets an opportunity to to kill Saul. And I think most of us, if we're in that situation, if we have an option of either killing somebody, well, let me say this this way. If we have the option of getting vengeance on somebody for something they've done to us, more often than not, we want to take that vengeance. More often than not... We want to have revenge. Uh, interesting. Uh, Paul writes in Romans uh, these words. He says, "Do not take revenge." So, so if as Christians we do not even have the option to take revenge if we follow Paul's teachings. Do not take revenge, rather leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy here, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. It is mine to revenge. And throughout the history of God's people, revenge has never been an option and so David, he, he takes this to heart as he has these opportunities to kill Saul, not once, but twice. Both times, David says, I will not take revenge. And instead, he has two different actions that I think we need to imitate when we are dealing with our enemies. And the first action is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and it's this. We are to show mercy to our enemies. David is fleeing from Saul, and one of the things that he f- does in his flee is he goes to one of these caves. Uh, Israel is covered and littered with caves left and right, and throughout their histories, when people have fought against other people, they've kind of hidden in the caves because it provides shelter. And you never know which cave they're in, and there's so many of them. And so Saul, David is hiding in the caves away from Saul, and in one particular cave, this is what happens in verse chapter 24, verses 3 uh, through four. Uh, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He went in to use the restroom. Right, and David and his men were far in the back of the cave, and the men said to David, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up, he was unnoticed, and he cut off a corner. Of Saul's robe. So David has this opportunity. No one, let's be honest, Saul went into this cave alone, okay? No one else is in there watching Saul do his business. All right, Saul's there. The, David's men are in the back. David has this opportunity to kill Saul right now, right here, to end this fleeing, to take his place as rightful king. Saul's already tried to kill him three times, Saul's already ordered de- David's death at least three times. Now's your chance. But when given the chance, David chooses mercy. In fact, in verse 5, we read that David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he says, how could I do such a thing? And we look at that and we think, what? He's tried to kill you. What do you mean how could you just cut off a piece of he did nothing But David understood that even doing this little thing was too much We are to show mercy to our great enemies Mercy is this act of of not giving what is deserved and Saul deserved death. David has done nothing wrong, and Saul has sought David's death at every turn along the way, and David had every right to kill Saul. Saul has already been declared by God to no longer be valid as king. David has already been claimed by God to be the next king, the rightful ruler. David has every right to kill him, and yet he says, I'm going to give mercy I'm not going to kill. See, too often we get blinded by revenge. You know, people hurt us and we want to get even with them. We don't want them to have a good life. They've made our life miserable. You know, they've broken our families. They've broken our jobs. They've done something to us. And all we want is for them to be repaid. And we want vengeance. But the reality is, is that vengeance is really childish in many ways. My children understand vengeance. Right? Micah can be a terror at times, right? And see, he's, he's a boy. All right? And so he will come in while the girls are doing something, just peacefully collaring a picture or playing with a toy, and he'll grab their picture and he'll run away. Or he'll grab their toy and he'll run away. And the girls will begin to scream, ah! and they will chase after Micah. And when they catch up to Micah, you know what they do? They don't give him a hug. They don't kiss him on the cheek. They punch him. And if they can't catch up to him, they grab his toys and they run away and say, you give me back in our house, I'll destroy this. You know, they understand vengeance. And as parents, we have to teach our kids it's not okay. Vengeance is childish. And it's a sign that we have not grown up. My parents always told me to take the higher road when people picked on me at school. A fifth grade kid in my fifth grade class said two wrongs don't make a right, which was really ironic since he was the class bully, okay? And he just didn't want people to pick on him. But it's true. Vengeance is childish. And if we want to have a great relationship when it comes to our enemies it means that we show them mercy and rather than giving them what they deserve we choose not to do that david has this opportunity to kill saul he chooses not to he comes out after saul has gone away a little ways away a couple hills away he comes up and says saul guess what i did And Saul recognizes that David was more righteous than he was, and Saul went back home and stopped chasing David for a short time. But eventually he again begins to chase after David, and in chapter 26 we get this second scene where David again spares Saul's life. And in it we see the second action that David does, and this is this. David shows grace to his enemies. Uh, here's what happens in verses three through five. Saul made his camp along the road on the hill uh, that's named that, facing that town. But David stayed in the wilderness. And when we saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts, and he learned that Saul had definitely arrived. And then David set out, set out, and he went to the place where Saul's camp, and he saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army and camped around him. And so what we have here is that David has now gathered a large army. They're no longer able to hide in the back of the cave and not be found. All right? And probably Saul's not going to let that happen again, right? Wouldn't make sense. And so David takes a proactive step. All right, he's not just going to wait for Saul to come to him. He's going to go to Saul, and he goes, and he scouts out, and he finds where Saul is sleeping and what tent he's in, and then in, uh, in the next verse, he's going to set out his plan. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeriah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. And Abner and the soldiers were lying around Saul. And Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't do it twice. So what we have here is this Picture of Abishai understanding that David has already declared, I will not kill Saul, and now he's asking, David, please let me do it. And in the next verse, David says to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and he will perish. But the Lord forbid that I shall lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get his spear and his water jug and let's get out of here. And so we have David not just showing mercy to Saul and by not allowing him to die, but we see that David gives Saul his life. From Abishai. The people that have come to David, they're not there just because David is is a charismatic leader. They're there because Saul has done something to them. They're there because Saul has turned his hand against their families and they have fled, and the only person that they can flee to is David. And so Abishai has been hurt by Saul, and here he is. He says, Now is the time, let me do it. And David graciously says no. Where mercy is not giving what has been deserved, grace is giving something that is undeserved. In this case, it is Saul's life. Saul is worthy of death. He is worthy of being killed. He is worthy of all the crimes that he has committed, of being destroyed himself. And what we have is this opposite effect. See, where Saul was by himself, he sought David's death. Now when David is by himself, he chooses to give Saul his life. Where Saul had a whole army chasing after David, David has a Bishai right next to him, and David says, No, don't touch him. And Saul and David are in contrast to each other, where David is the righteous one, where if we want to be great enemies, we need to reflect David and not Saul. And we need to show mercy. And we need to be proactive in showing grace. See, David didn't just sit there and wait. He went. And we can't just sit back and say, okay, well, when I get an opportunity to show grace to somebody, I will. No, when you have an enemy, you go proactively to them and show them grace. When they harm you, you show kindness. When they do evil against you, you show them goodness. And it's not easy. It's not always fun. You don't always get the reciprocal kindness back because they're your enemies. They're seeking to destroy you. But we do it because great enemies show mercy and great enemies show grace. As Christians, we must show our great enemies mercy and grace. And here's why it matters. Because at one point in time, we were enemies to the creator of the universe. At one point in time, we were sinners separated from God Unable to do anything to save ourselves. At one point in time, we were enemies. And our great enemy showed us mercy. And our great enemy showed us grace. And our great enemy sent his son Jesus to die the death that we deserved to die. For the rebellion that we had done against him. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, these words, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We do have enemies. And more often than not, the reason why there are enemies is because they are enemies of God. And if they are enemies of God, then they have the same enemy that sent Jesus for us. Jesus didn't come just to die for us so that we could go to heaven. Jesus came to die for those who wouldn't ever accept him. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus now, and we have the obligation to interact with our enemies the way Jesus interacted with his enemies. We must show mercy. And we must show grace because we have a God who showed mercy and grace to us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, help us when it is difficult, when it is hard, when it's easier to take revenge. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be gracious. Help us not just to want to give back what they deserve, but rather help us to find goodness and kindness in their lives. Father, it's hard at times. Father, it's it's hard to be a great enemy. Help us when we fail. Help us to show the grace and mercy that you have given us to our enemies. I ask this in your name. Amen.